Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together. We ask that you guide and lead us as we look at this and let your Holy Spirit be with us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Numbers chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dothan and Abiram, the son of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing that all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift you up yourselves above the congregation. So we're going to stop right there for a moment. And so we started out and we're listing some people here. We first hear of Korah, who's the son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi. So he's the great grandson of Levi. All right, so he's of the tribe of Levi, which means that he ministers in the, temp the tabernacle. He is not of the priestly tribe of Aaron, but he is of the tribe of Levi. And then it says Dothan, Ebram, and On, and those are sons of Reuben, or grand grandchildren of Re Reuben. So here are four, uh, three, uh, excuse me, four people that are going to be the leaders of this rebellion that we're going to read about. And uh, they bring, in verse 2, they gather together 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation and men of renown. Now remember when they went, they, got, they sent the spies in, they, the spies gave the bad report, and what was the first thing they wanted to do? Anybody remember? Leave. They wanted to leave. They were, gonna, they were going to elect a captain, choose a captain amongst them to head back to where? Egypt. Egypt. When, when Moses re, re scolded them for that idea, what did they try to do? Does anybody remember what they tried to do? They decided they would go ahead and try to attack, and the Amorites and Canaanites beat them severely. Okay, so here we are now. People that are leaders, 250 of them are joining Korath, Dothan, and Abiram, and they're getting ready to lead a revolt. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and this is what they said. You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, lift you up yourselves above the congregation. This is a statement that you hear oftentimes in Christian churches because people will come up and say, why do we have to listen to a pastor or a teacher or anything? Because we are all the same in front of God. And you know what? That is a very true statement. At the foot of the cross, all people are the same. So we're going to look at just a couple of verses to show that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So we are called priests. We are called a holy nation. Galatians 3.20. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And you could look at the same things. Colossians 3, 9 through 11, Acts 10, 34, and Romans 10, 12 all say the same thing. Okay? We as Christians are 
all the same in, in God's eyes. Except for, he also does something, we're going to look at Ephesians 4.11. And this is the same thing that he's done with, with uh, Moses and Aaron. Verse 11 in Ephesians 4. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the, for the perfecting of the saints and the working of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. And there are other places. Paul was constantly saying, I am called to be an apostle. I am chosen to be apostle. Uh, Peter says the same thing. The apostle of Christ. All right. And so here we have, and this goes back to our saying that we keep having, there is nothing new under the sun. <laughs> okay. Christian churches still have this problem of people wanting to submit to authority and saying, who are you to think you are special enough or, or why are you taking authority over everybody? And here they're telling Moses and Aaron, uh, you, guys, you guys think too much of yourself. You promoted yourselves over us. And this is going on because there's been a lot of disappointment going on. We had them get to the promised land and they turned back. By their choice, Moses was ready to take them in. Remember, Joshua and Caleb said, God is able to do this. Let's get into the land and take this land. And the other ten said, no, we can't do this. All right, so they turn around and God says, okay, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. People are not happy at this moment. Most of them want to go back to Egypt. And what does Egypt represent? Does anybody remember what Egypt represents spiritually? Sin. Sin or the flesh, living in the flesh. So they're, they're ready to go back to Egypt. They're ready to, to turn around and say, we're done with this spiritual living. We want to go back and do what we've always done. Christians do this all the time. As soon as trouble, you know, things get a little hard in the Christian life, they're going, ah, this is just too hard. I want to go back. I want to go back to whatever it was I was doing in Egypt, you know, the, the spiritual Egypt, you know, whatever that might be for them. And they're accusing Moses of being elevating himself. Now, how did Moses get his call to the, to the children of Israel? This is a long time ago. God. God. And how did God reveal himself to him? At the burning bush. And Moses didn't want to have anything to do with this. So this accusation of theirs is totally a lie, but they've bought into it. Okay, so this is something we want to be careful of. When we look at somebody who's God has anointed and put in charge, we want to be careful that we don't come against them, and God takes it very serious. What did he do to uh, Miriam when she came against him? Killed her. No, he didn't kill her. No, she, tur he turned, she turned into she leprosy. She was struck with leprosy yeah. for a period of time. And remember, they had to put her out of the camp, and then she came back, and God, by Moses' request, had grace upon, mercy upon her and, and took the leprosy away. Yeah. And so here we are. Another, another attack against Moses is coming now. And we're going to look at this one. Moses' response in verse 4, And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Moses does this a lot. When people come against him, he just falls on his face and talks to God. <laughs> Which is a good thing for a leader to do. Very good thing for a leader to fall on their face. All right, verse 5, and he says, And he spoke unto Korah and all, the, all his, his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. Even him whom he has chosen will he cause to come near unto him. 
Do this, take your censers, Korah, and all of his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man who the Lord does choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon, yourself, upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. So here we have a reversal of the, <laughs> of the instructions. He goes, okay, tomorrow, we're going to see, we're going to let God choose tomorrow. And he says, bring your censers. Now, what are, does anybody remember what censers are? Incense? They burn incense. They, they burn incense. When was the other time we had somebody with trouble with incense <laughs> and, and, and censers? In the temple, when the, they, they did what? They did their own thing and God struck them dead. The very Aaron's, first day, Aaron's sons, Adab and, and, uh, Nadab and Abihu, did their own thing and they were struck dead because they lit the censers with, with unauthorized fire. And it's pretty, you know, as we said back then, it was pretty amazing that on your very first day you would go do whatever you wanted and think you were going to get away with it. So we're having the censers and they're going to put fire and, and incense in it and they're to present it. And, and Moses says, we're going to see tomorrow who the Lord chooses. Moses is very confident who's going to be chosen because he was already chosen. <laughs> All right. He knows he's been chosen. And leaders who are true leaders know that they're chosen. They don't have to sit there and fight and argue with people that they are leaders. If you're hearing somebody in a, in a church or a Bible study saying, I'm the teacher, I'm the pastor, you have to listen to me, they've got a problem. They don't know and understand that they have been called because they're trying to hold on to it themselves. God will reveal the called person just as he's going to do here, just as he did with Miriam. Just as he's going to do the same thing here. He's going to lift up and he's going to say, I'm the defender of my person I've called. And this goes back to what we've been talking about in Psalms so much. God is our defense. And when we relax in him, he defends. And in Miriam's case, she was struck with leprosy. In this one, we're going to see even worse happen because these people are going to die. And many more will die with them. Verse 8, And Moses said to Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, seem it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to him to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. He has brought you near him and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you, and you seek the priesthood also. For which cause both you and your company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? Okay, here we have a revelation that he's, that he's going to show. And this happens a lot. Oh, in verse 7, I forgot, I forgot to point out. Moses goes, you take too much on you, the sons of Levi. He took their, their complaint against him, <laughs> turned it right back against them, saying, okay, you're saying I'm not it, but you're trying to promote yourself. Anybody who has to promote themselves in the ministry of God is in a bad place. Because people should recognize. When people are called to be a pastor, people see, long, sometimes even before that person knows that they're to be a pastor, they, they will see they're a pastor. They will see that they're evangelist. When I meet an evangelist, that person does not have to tell me that they're an evangelist. A lot of people who claim to be evangelists have to tell you they're an evangelist, but I have met so many people that are evangelists, and you go out, you go out with them, and they share the gospel with Everybody, you don't have to tell me they're an evangelist. All I have to do is watch them as they share the gospel. And they do it so naturally, so smoothly. If somebody's a teacher, you don't have to sit there and say, 
well, I wonder if that person's a teacher. You know that they're a teacher. They handle the word well. That God gives them skill in doing it, and then they will do. They will want to teach. Uh, one of the things I have to be very careful of when I go visiting places and I sit in a Sunday school class or a Bible study, I have to be very careful because I'm a teacher to not take over the class. And I've learned over the years. When I was younger, I used to take over classes all the time, you know, and then, you know, you get a bad look from the dirty, you know, from the dirty look from the teacher because it's, you know, you just took over their class. So I've learned over the years that if I I am a teacher, but I'm not necessarily a teacher when I'm visiting some other church or some other place. Now, if I'm asked to speak or God opens up the door, I will speak. I will, you know, work gently correct something if I hear it wrong, but I stand back. Because God needs, they're the teacher in that situation, not me. And, but you know, if you see a teacher, they teach. If you have an evangelist, they evangelize. A pastor will minister and love, love the flock and, and try to help them as best they can. Uh, the apostle is one who's sent. So we look at this, and, and Moses is saying, you Levites are taking too much upon yourselves. You are saying that you are something you're not. And in his case, he knew who was called to run the camp and he knew they were not called so and then it says does it seem a small thing that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle does anybody remember and I don't expect anybody to remember what the Koites had responsibility for in the temple no that wasn't their job wood nope their job was to take care of the Ark of the Covenant, the, the mercy seat, the altars, the table of showbread. They had a very special responsibility in the temple. Okay? They, they were about as close to being a priest as you could get without being a priest. And Moses is saying... Does it seem like a small thing? You have, you have this really great responsibility and you think it's beneath you? One of the things we have to be careful of in, in our walk with God is to be happy with whatever God gives us to do. Not have jealousy that we're not the teacher, we're not the pastor, we're not the, you know, whatever it is. You know, if, you're, if all you are is the the cleaner of the church that's a very important position if it wasn't done it would be a very dirty church and people would notice but a lot of times people will get well I'm not happy because I'm not whatever job it is they want and this is what the Kohites were doing what Korah and the rest of his family were doing they were not happy with the job God gave them and their job was very important I mean they got to move the holy of holies. That's they, they got they re, they got to move the holy place, the holy of holies. Their job was really important to deal with, and yet they weren't happy. They weren't happy. They weren't leading. They weren't leading. And at this point, they're probably wanting to go back to either either go back to Egypt or retry going into the promised land, as we're going to see later on. They're very unhappy about not not being in the promised land. So we want to be careful. And it says that you stand before the, 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 the congregation. You are, you are in an important position. People see you. you know, you're, not, you're not one of the hidden ones that don't, don't do much. You, you've got an important position. People see you with what you do. And he says, 
and you're not happy with what it is that you're asked to do. And if you want to verify what I just said, it's in number 317 when the Kohites were shown what they were going to have to do for the temple. And he says, you have brought you near and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, and you seek the priesthood also. Okay, he's going, you're not happy with what you want and you want more. You want more. They had a very important job. It was a time-consuming job, and yet they wanted to be what Moses and Aaron had, the priesthood. Be part, of, be, be part of the priests. Moses is understanding this. Moses is understanding what they want. He understands that they're being envious and jealous that they don't have. And it's critical that we don't get that, that point because you'll be miserable when you want something that somebody else has, especially if God hasn't told you to do it. And it's a very, very interesting place. One of the things I've learned over time is I've heard so many people tell me, God has told me to do such and such. Well, one thing I have learned over the years, if it's something that I want to do, it's very hard for me to know that that's what God told me because my own emotions and desires are involved in it. And a lot of times when you hear somebody say, God told me to do, it's what they wanted to do in the first place. Mm. And... You need to be very careful of saying God told you to do something if it's something you really want to do. He may or may not have, but it is hard to separate your personal desire from what God is telling you. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Very hard. Now, if you feel God telling you to do something and you're going, God, I don't want to do that, then you might want to start listening to make sure because you're probably being told by God at that point to do something. But if it's something you really want to do, there's going to be a problem saying God told you. But not everything, again, and not everything that you don't want to do is God, but you can be more sure that it's God, if you really feel strong and you're supposed to do something and you don't want to do it, that's when I can say to myself, God's telling me to do it. When God told me to come out to Arizona, Kingman, Arizona, I can tell you it was the last place I wanted to go. <laughs> I did not want to go to Kingman, Arizona. I was a computer programmer. And there aren't very many computer programmer jobs in Kingman, Arizona, especially in, there are none in the language that I program in. And I'm going, God, you've got to be kidding. I, I, you want me to go where? <laughs> and yet, it's really been the best thing that's happened. Our finances have, you know, make less money and our finances are better. And, and God has blessed us, blessed with the church and all these things, you know. The decision was the right decision. And I can say God told me to come here. Now, I could have been saying God told me to go to some place where the computer programming was good and I would have been wrong. <laughs> because I would have gone, God, I can move to Georgia. There's a good teacher down there, a good church down there. I can move down there and there's jobs down there. And that was my argument with him. God, you can send me there. You can just send me there. But be very careful trying to figure out what God's telling you to do. Because if it's something you really want to do, and not necessarily is God not telling you to do it, but be very careful because it's hard to separate your personal desires from what God. And I've met lots of people. They tell me that God tells them that, you know, tells them that God wants me to do this. And you look at them and it's what they wanted to do anyway. And it's like, okay, uh, I'm not quite sure about this. And they go, well, I know I heard God. Well, you know how many times I've known that I've heard God and been wrong myself? Hmm. Because I was doing what I, my, my flesh wanted to do. 
And here we've got. I think we've all been. <laughs> we've all been there at some point. You know, we may or may, may or may not have used the language that God that God sent me or told me. Uh, but we've all been there. We were really sure that God is telling us to do, you know, that God is leading us to do something, and we find out we were wrong. And then he goes in verse 11, And for this cause, both you and your company are gathered against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? He's not even thinking about himself at this point. They're murmuring against him too. But his concern is, you're murmuring against Aaron, and, you know, what did he do? Mm -hmm. you know, I'm the one that promoted him, and God promoted me, and I promoted him. You know, so why are you angry at Aaron? All he's been doing is being a priest. He's not even leading is what he's telling them. And yet their anger is toward Moses and Aaron because they see Aaron has been a leader next to, next to Moses. So we, Moses has lots of problems. The, the, Israel, the Israelites were not a very nice group of people. They were stiff-necked and rebellious most of the time. Verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and said, and which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us out of the land that flows with milk and honey and to kill us in the wilderness? Except you make yourself altogether a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, or given us the inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. All right. Korath is coming before Moses. He's really, you know, he's really ready to face it. But uh, Dotham and and. Uh, Abraham are, are very rebellious. Look at their look at their level of rebellious rebellion. We will not stand before you. Okay? It's basically what they're saying. We're not coming. And we look at this, he says, in verse 13, he says, it is, is it a small thing that you brought us up out of a land that flows with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Now, this could be one of two things that they're talking about. They could be either trying to refer to Egypt, which makes no sense in, in one sense, but there are a lot of commentaries who say they're talking about Egypt, and I can see why they say this. You took us out of a land, because remember, when they were telling Moses, we're tired of this manna, we want to go back where we had onions and garlic and leeks, and, you know, and we had plenty of food. That's been their, that's been their statement frequently. We had all the meat we wanted. We had all the food we wanted, which is probably a lie. They were slaves. They had to work real hard, and they probably didn't have all the food they wanted. They had more variety than manna and quail, but they did, probably did not have all the food they wanted. So it's either that, or they have just turned their back on the promised land, and they, they could be saying, you took us away from the land of flowing with milk and honey. Well, they said they said leave. They 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 said we're not going to go in, and that's why they may be talking about Egypt is because it doesn't make much sense for them to say you know we're we don't want this land we can't take it you know turn away. So either way you want to go with this, I don't I don't know. I can see good arguments for both this being Egypt or literally being the Promised Land because they've just turned their back on the Promised Land, and at this point they're basically saying if. If it's the if it's Egypt they're talking about, they're way way off base. You know, we just you know we want to go back to the world, and if it's the Promised Land, they're basically telling Moses, you didn't you know you led us there, but you didn't have the strength to take us in. 
okay? Which Moses has no strength to begin with. That's because they were murmuring and uttering, so they had to wander in the wilderness because they wouldn't stop murmuring and uttering, but the children got to go. The children are going to get to go because of their murmuring. And you want to remember, we so often, when we turn our back against what God has told us to do or led us to do, we as humans will do what started at the very beginning with, with Adam and Eve. It's somebody else's fault. We very rarely want to take responsibility for our own actions. And so if this is the promised land they're talking about, it's, you know, they turned their back on it. They're the one that rejected it. And yet they're going to blame Moses. And even if it's Egypt, you know, they, they were, they, if you remember, why did God send them? Because he heard the cry of the people. The people were crying out to be delivered. So even then, they're still saying, God, it's your fault. You gave us the wrong, the wrong leader. So either, no matter how you want to go, the people are not taking responsibility for their own actions and decisions. And we do this all the time. Every one of us does this. It's not my fault. It's that other person's fault. <laughs> Whatever it might be. A marriage falls apart, a marriage has trouble, each, each partner in the marriage will usually blame the other one. They didn't do this, they didn't do that. And if you listen to both sides, both people are complaining about the other one instead of trying to humble themselves and come together. Usually when there's any problem, that's usually what happens. Uh, it's amazing when you mediate problems that you hear two sides of the story, then I, and I absolutely believe that both people think they're telling the truth. And you listen to both sides of the story and you're going, wow, they're both very close and if they would just decide to take responsibility for their own actions, we could get this solved. It's not easy to get people to take responsibility for their actions. Adam and Eve started it. You know, hey God, uh, you gave me this woman basically saying it was your <laughs> fault, but you know, if you don't want to take it, God, it's her fault. <laughs> You know, I really think it's yours, but don't, you know, I'll blame her at the same time. And she, she blames the servant, you know and, you know, and we do this all the time. This is what's happening with these two men. They're going, Moses, it's all your fault. We're not coming to you. You're, you, you're all puffed up. You think you're something special. and We're just going to have this rebellion and not, not come and stand before you. you know, we're, not even, we're not even man enough to come and stand before you to make the accusations. And how often do we see this kind of stuff going on? Behind the back, people strike and attack. And Korath is, is at least standing up in front of them and saying, hey, <laughs> this is what, you know, this is what these two are kind of, and the other 250 apparently, you know, didn't come. These, these three are the leaders, and, and they're going, you know, we're just going to make trouble for you behind the scenes. And this happens all the time. It happens in churches. When a church starts to move forward in, in a direction, people don't like the change. And unfortunately, people don't like change. I don't like change, but I know that everything changes. When I was in the business world, everything changed. Every couple months, things changed. Especially in restaurants, they were always introducing new things, getting rid of stuff, you know, doing this, doing that. But things always will change. There's nothing new being done, but there are always changes going on. And here, the change that they didn't like was, you're going to wander for 40 years. Now you can picture this. This is not some of the change, you know, if we were in Israel, this is not the change we would want to be hearing, is it? Uh, you rejected the promised land. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years until everybody 20 years up is dead. That would not be a change we'd want to hear. 
and it's generating a very rebellious spirit in the people. Even though they're the one that drew it and said, well, we don't want to have our kids being killed. We're, we're going to turn our back. No, their, their, their complaint was that you brought us here. They're going, to, they're going to kill us and our children and our wives. So God said, fine. You said it. You're, now, you're going to wander for 40 years, and your children will come in and take the land, and you, you will die. So it wasn't the children. He never desired to kill the children. As a matter of fact, he didn't desire to kill his people. If they had listened, they would have conquered the land 40 years earlier than they did and enjoyed, enjoyed a, lot of, a, a lot of things. They go on, you know, you've brought us out, and then it says in the last half of 13, except you make yourself altogether a prince over us. You're trying to rule us. Yeah. And in essence, he was the ruler. God appointed him as the ruler. God trained him as a ruler. Okay? Remember, Moses was put into the house of Pharaoh where he was being trained to take over before he killed the, killed the Egyptian slave and was chased out. But he has been trained. Even, this is why it's very funny when you, read, when you read the burning bush account and Moses is saying, well, who am I to do this? You know, well, let's see, Moses, you were, you were trained to be a military commander and, and how to run a court and how to, how to judge, make judgments and how to make laws, you know, because you were being trained to be Pharaoh. So when Moses makes this statement of who am I to do it, it's almost laughable. But yet, there are many people who God has trained to do things in their lifetime, and then he calls them to step forward, and they're going, uh-uh, I can't do that. Why not? Well, I don't know what I'm doing. And God says, well, what have I been using my time for? What have I been training you for? God does this. And Moses was trained very specifically to be a military and court and law. He was trained in the court of Egypt. And remember, Egypt was the empire of the day. Okay, they, that, we're talking about a time when Egypt ruled all of North Africa and all of the Middle East. At the height of their reign, Moses is being trained to take over. And his answer was, who am I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who, am I to do, who am I to rule these people? And these people are making an accusation, you promoted yourself. <laughs> well, who else is there that could run this many people and do it right? Mm -hmm. And he keeps promoting people all over the place. He, he promoted the, the people to help him run the court system and said, okay, all the small cases go to these, these people and any, all the big ones go to me. A little while back ago, he says, God, you know, I, I can't handle these people. And God says, okay, I'll put a part of your spirit upon the leaders. And you had all these leaders that got Moses' leadership. So they're, they're under him helping to rule. Every time Moses turns around, he's giving people responsibility. And these guys are saying, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, you're trying to take everything yourself and be, be the ruler. And as I said at the beginning, you know, we're all, by the way, we're all equal. We're all God's children. We're all the children of Abraham. He split the men up in different, in, for the wars, in different, like, armies. Well, they were set up by their families. They were set up by their families for that. Whatever family you were in, you were with that army. Yeah, that's what it was. All right. So we have all these accusations, and even all of this, Moses is staying calm because <laughs> he knows that God is going to choose the next day. He's letting God be his defense. He's not, he's not worried about it. He told them, you know, you guys are kind of taking it upon yourselves to be promoted, but let's let God decide. 
And it says, moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields. Will you also put out the eyes of these men? Now, I don't know where they get this idea that their eyes are going to be put out. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's what they did in, in Egypt. Well, it might have been. I don't. But, you know, you didn't take us into the promise. You said you were taking us into the promised land. You didn't. And you didn't give us the inheritance. And then it says, will you also put the eyes of these men out? And, I, again, I don't know where they came up with this idea that the eyes were going to be put out. All they're being called is, you know, we're going we're gonna to judge tomorrow. God's going to show us who's in charge. Yeah, uh, so, but this is what happens when problems occur. Lies and deceit come out all the time. When people go against authority, there's all these attacks. You, you know, you guys are going to do this, you're going to do that, you're, you're trying to do this, and the lies come out. Satan is a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. He lied to Adam and Eve, you know, you will not surely die, but God knows that you will be like him, knowing good and evil. Just a little bit of truth and a, and, a, and a lot of lie to Adam and Eve. This is what Satan does all the time. You, know, you could do just as good as that person in leadership because you know, you're just so special. Well, if you're not called, you're going to have a hard time being the leader. This, is, this happens in every place. In businesses, it used to amaze me when I'd promote somebody to be in charge of something. And I promoted them because they were leaders. People listened to them. They, they, they were good. And you, most of the time, the very first time they came in with a title, they became dictators. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? I promoted you because you are a leader. You don't need to try to force people to listen to you. And again, it goes back to if you're having to say, you have to listen to me because I have this title, you're in trouble. And this is why a good pastor is not going to be saying, well, I'm the pastor, you've got to do what I say. No. <laughs> you know, I've met guys like that. You know, I'm the pastor, you've got to do the way I want it. Or you've got to call me pastor. You know, people have asked me, what, what do I call you? I prefer to be called pastor, but if you want to call me Ralph or call me late for dinner, I don't care, whatever you want to call me, it doesn't matter to me. Because I know who I am in, in God's kingdom. I don't need to say, you've got to do something. <coughs> and this is the way it should always be. The teacher's not worried about needing a title to be the teacher because they know they're the teacher. The person who's in charge knows they're in charge because they've been placed in charge. All right, verse 15. And Moses was very angry and said unto the Lord, Respect not their offering. I... I have not taken one donkey from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto the Korah, Be you and your company before the Lord, you and they, and Aaron tomorrow, and take every man his censer, and put incense in them, and bring them before the Lord, every man his censer, 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer, and put fire, and laid incense therein, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. Okay, one of the things that we have seen about Moses on many occasions is he is a quick-tempered man. <laughs> when, when Dothan and Ibrahim say, we're not coming, he got angry. <laughs> and we've seen this a few times with Moses. He gets angry easy. And yet at the same time, he is very much the intercessor for his people. 
we see that Moses has his two sides, his great love for the people, and he's willing, but he had some trouble with temper. He was a great leader. He did great things. He listened to God. Man, when, when he went to pray for his people, remember the time when he said, God, you know, God said, I'm just going to kill them all and start with you. And he said, no, don't kill them and, and all of this. And he pled with God not to destroy them because God was angry enough with them to destroy them. And yet, on more than one occasion, he gets angry with the people and it's God trying to turn him around to say, okay, let's have some mercy. Let's have some, you know, let's have some uh, kindness. But Moses' first was, God, don't have respect to their offering. Don't even look at what they're getting ready to offer. And this is the incense, is the first one, but it's anything thereafter as well. And he says, I haven't taken anything from them. I haven't even harmed any of them. And he's pleading his cause with God. God, I'm innocent of their charges, and I'm, you know, don't even look at them with respect. And then he said to Korah, get, every, get all these people that you've gathered together to, to rebel and bring them to the tabernacle. I can't even imagine what 250 censers in front of the tabernacle is going to look like. And <coughs> excuse me, you've got the 250 censers on the one side, and you've got Aaron's on the other. <laughs> yeah, kind of reminds you of David and Goliath, doesn't it? Yeah. One one person against you know unsurmountable odds. Uh, Gideon, no, not Gideon, but. Uh, Joshua and Caleb against the ten spies, you know, telling them we can't do it. God oftentimes chooses the minority. And this is one thing I've shared with more people. If you look in the Bible, almost every time a decision is made by the majority, it's wrong. <laughs> this is one of the reasons that I say that republics and democracies are not the best form of government because the multitude, the majority, are wrong most of the time. God almost always chooses the minority and says, I've got a remnant. I have a small number of people. The majority is usually not the way to go. And we see that here. All right, verse 19. Now Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation and the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, saying, How many times have we seen this? Moses says, Okay, let's come to the congregation. And the glory of the Lord comes upon the tabernacle and he speaks. How precious it would have been back then, I guess, to hear, but at the same time, very scary because when, when God had to speak to the congregation, <laughs> it brought terror to them. And here God's saying, He's speaking, and He speaks to Moses and, and Aaron. Verse 21, separate yourself from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be wroth with all the congregation? So here's Moses' answer. He goes, God, you know, God's ready to destroy all of Israel again. <laughs> God keeps doing this with Moses. He's going to say, I'm going to destroy all of them. And Moses' heart of compassion, as much as these people have made life miserable for him and hard for him, his compassion comes out and, God, and going, God, are you, would you kill all of them for, he says one, in this case 250. <laughs> but Korah's obviously the leader. He's the one that's instigating this rebellion. And he's saying, God, would you kill everybody because of one person's, you know, uh, 
charisma and, and, and leading his people in the wrong direction. And this is a critical thing. Moses was always coming up with his defense. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak unto the congregation and say, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korath, Dothan, and Abraham. One thing I didn't bring out, if you remember way back in the time we gave out the maps and the way these were pictured, Reuben and Korath are right next door to each other. So it made it easy for them to incite each other. Okay. Now, Reuben has also got a problem. Reuben was the firstborn son of Jacob. And he was disallowed. He lost his inheritance. And does anybody remember a long time ago why he lost his inheritance? He laid with one of Jacob's wives. And God judged him, his whole tribe from it, for it. And said, you will not be the first, you will not have the inheritance of the firstborn. And it was given to Joseph. And Joseph has two tribes are named after of Joseph. And does anybody remember the two tribes named for Joseph? Manasseh. Manasseh? Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh were his two sons. And, and uh, Jacob, when he blessed them, said, I'm taking these two. They're mine. I've, I've gotten rid of Reuben, and I'm going to take these two as mine. So... Just trying to get us back into history, get us thinking about how all this ties together. And Moses rose up and went unto Dotham and Ibrahim, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in their sin. So they all got up from the tabernacle of, tabernacle of Korah, Dotham, and Abraham. On every side, uh, and Dothan and Abraham came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. All right, so Moses is clearing everybody out. The three main leaders of this rebellion, he's getting everybody away from them because God is getting ready to judge. And we're going to see a mighty judgment on this. God, when he defends, and I've said this over and over, when God stands up and defends us, it usually is more than we want to see happen to those people. And I can tell you from personal experience, from times I've seen God stand up and defend pastors and and different people, that what he does to try to get their attention is hard. I've seen people lose their children, lose their health, lose their life, because of their rebellious spirit. We're going to see that here in the scriptures, but I've seen it personally in different lives. So, Dotham and Abraham, they finally come out to their tents. They wouldn't go to Moses. Moses had to go to them. He calls them out, and they go to the door of their tent with their whole family. Verse 28, And Moses said, Hereby shall you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have done none of them of my own mind. In other words, you know, God is the one doing this. I'm not, I'm not trying to do this on my own. If these men die a common death of all men, or if they are visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. Okay, so he's getting ready to call down. You know, notice this. If these men die a common death, what would the common death of people be? Old age. Old age. <laughs> You know, maybe, maybe some kind of sickness gets them, but generally old age is the common death. That's, you know, that's the expected death. 
Yeah, or if they are visited after the visitation of all men, the Lord has not sent me. In other words, they might have, if they have any more children. And if the Lord make, but if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertains unto them, and they go down quickly into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. That's quite a quite a statement. Okay, now remember, God hasn't really told him to make this statement, as far as we understand. Okay, God just said. I'm going to kill everybody, and he says, "No, don't kill every, you know, you know, don't kill everybody for the for the one man." And then he goes up to these people that are being rebellious, and he says, "If they die a natural death, God didn't choose me. But if He opens the ground, then that shows you who's in charge, because Moses couldn't open the ground any more than any one of us could open the ground." And so. Verse 31, And it came to pass, as he made an end of the speaking, all these words, that the ground cave asunder that was under them. The earth opened her mouth, swallowed them up in their houses, and all the men that, that, that pertained to Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. I think that would be kind of scary. Now, Moses is standing there saying, you know, you know, God's going to show you who is in charge. It's him, and he put me in charge, and the earth will open up. This is, you know, you look at this, and this, this sounds very much like a sinkhole just opening up and then closing back up, you know, because it says it closed on them. So this was literally something that is supernatural. Okay, all of a sudden it opens up. Everything they own, all their family falls in, closes up on them. I would want to have been round to see that. It's not something I would have wanted to be anywhere near seeing. And the response of the people in verse 34, and all Israel that were around about them fled and at the cry of them and said, lest the earth swallow us up also. They ran. Makes sense. I would probably run too. And I, I don't know how far that you know, pit's going to open. I'm going to get as far away from this pit as I possibly can. Verse 35, and there came a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Okay, everybody who rebelled lost their life. Korah and the leaders lost their life and their families paid the price of that. And this is what I've said, when God moves, I have seen so many times when people's families have been hurt because of their rebellion. And it's a sad thing to see, but it happens, and it happens all through the scriptures. When a head of the family rebels against God, oftentimes the whole family hurt, is punished for it. And then it says, and they're consumed, a fire consumed the 250 other men that thought that they were rebellious. In this case, their families aren't included. It's just the men that are consumed by a fire. And it doesn't tell us what kind of fire or how that fire hit, but they, they were burnt. They were a burnt offering, real quick. <laughs> Verse 26, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Say unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up the censers out of the, from the burning and scatter you the fire yonder, for they are hallowed, the censers of these sinners against their own soul. Let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar that they offer bef them before the Lord. Therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eleazar, the priest, took the brazen censers whereof they were burnt 
They that were burnt had offered, and they made broad plates for a covering of the altar. So they're going to make these bra brass incense into a plate to cover the, the brass altar. And by the, by the way it sounds, is that their, their own censers flared up to burn them up. You know, that's what kind of leads you to think, is that you know, they had their censers, they're standing next to their censers, all of a sudden they flare up, flared up and, and burned them, and God said, these are special. I've hallowed them. I, I took the sin out of the camp through the use of these censers. And the judgment of God. And he says, this is going to be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron can come near to offer incense before the Lord that he be not as Korah and his company. And the Lord said, said to him by the hand of Moses. All right, so we've got this judgment. God has dealt with the three main instigators and the 250 that went along with them. God can be very... And this is one of the reasons when people come against you, don't worry about it. God will defend. His first goal in most cases is to get them to repent and to, to be merciful to them. But if they're not going to be merciful, he can judge them. And in this case, God knew that these leaders had to be taken out because they had rebelled and they were already leaders of the people. And if they were forgiven, then God, then the people would have been much more likely to rebel because these leaders would be there saying, we got away with it, basically. Mm -hmm. Verse 41, But on the morrow all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. It's amazing how he gives blame for everything. Moses, somehow you opened up the, opened up the earth and made these people die. And Moses, somehow you made these... these, in, these uh, Incense land, pots flare up and burn these people. It's all your fault. <laughs> yeah. this, and again, you think about this. These leaders, these people that they respected have now been killed. And they're not going to put the blame on them because most of them had to kind of probably felt like, well, we wanted to go. You know, the last thing people are wanting to do right now is one, follow Moses because they already know, all the adults know what's happening. God has said they're going to wander in the, desert, in the wilderness for 40 years until all the adults are dead. They're fighting hard against this. Okay? They're, they're blaming Moses for all this. Moses, you weren't strong enough to bring us into the promised land. Moses, it's all your fault. You killed our leaders who were getting ready to take us back to, back to Egypt. Moses, you did it. And this is the children of Israel, and in verse 42, And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Now, we, we think about this. Each time the glory of the Lord appears, something big happens. Quite often, somebody dies. And maybe a lot of somebodies. And you just go back through sometime and, and look at this and see where the glory of God appears and then look at the judgment that follows. You know, on Sinai, it was the glory of the Lord appeared on Sinai and thunders and lightning scared everybody. You know, nobody died, but they got scared and hid. And so many times God shows up and something big is going to happen. Something big is going to happen. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Get you up from among the con congregation that I may consume them in a moment. 
Okay, here's another time. I'm going to destroy everybody. Moses, they're coming against you. I'm just going to kill them all. Moses' answer was, he fell on his face. <laughs> In this case, they, Moses and, Mo Moses and Aaron, both fall on their face. Okay, God, you know, <laughs> we don't want this to happen. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein off the altar and put on the incense and go quickly into the congregation and make atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord and a plague is begun. A plague is begun. There's people dying right that moment. When God said he was going to destroy them, and this time Moses did not say don't do it. He just knew that God was doing it. Okay, this, he knew God well enough to know that God was serious this time, that people were going to die. And if you've ever been around somebody when, you, when they can say something, you know they're joking, but they say something else and you know that they're very serious. Yeah. You know, and here Moses is no, says, Aaron, get a censor, get moving, there's a plague, people are dying. Get out there and create atonement. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation <laughs> And behold, the, the plague had begun among the people, and he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the, the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. So he's going out there, and he's, he's praying. He's praying for the people, and he's bringing the incense. And incense represents prayer, remember. We've talked about that. And now they that died of the plague were 14,700 besides them that died about the matter of Korah. This rebellion cost a lot of people's lives. 14,000 people, almost 15,000 people, die because of their rebellion. God takes rebellious spirit seriously. It is not something, if you find yourself getting into an area where you're looking at being rebellious against God, think, think, two, three, four, five, a hundred times, think it over and realize it's not what you want to do. And God's treatment of rebellion is not just in the Old Testament. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira came in and they lied to the church, God killed both of them. And that was New Testament. Why did he kill them? Not because they held back part of the money of the sale of the property. It was their property. That's what Peter told Sapphira. It was your property. You could have kept back as much as you want. But it was that they tried to lie to the, the Spirit, lie to, God, uh, to the, God's people and say, we gave everything. You know, we're, 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 we, you know, give us glory. We, you know, we sold our property. We're given everything. And they didn't. And here, rebellion cost 14,700 lives. Rebellion can cost a lot of lives. If nothing else, it can cost your family's lives. We need to be very cautious that we follow God. Now sin, again, I want to bring this out. Sin is not rebellion. Sin is making a mistake, missing the mark. Rebellion is making a conscious choice to disobey and not responding to the conviction that the Holy Spirit gives you. Okay, God doesn't say, okay, you, you made a conscious choice to rebel. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. Korah, Dotham, Abraham, Abraham, at any point could have said, we repent, we confess that we did wrong. 
and their judgment would not have been death of them and their family. But because they were rebellious and kept being rebellious, God judged them. And this judgment was harsh. And God will, if you're not willing to repent, God will say, okay, then it's time to come home. He'll do this to Christians all the time. If they will not repent and you know, turn away from their sins, he'll say, you're, you're hurting my name, you're hurting our reputation, I'm going to take you home. Now, the other question is, is the person that rebellious even a Christian? If they have truly received Christ, then they're a Christian. But man, you're going to have a hard time proving that you were a Christian if you were that rebellious. Because that goes back to what James says. Show me your faith by your works. You know, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Okay? Our works show our faith. If we're not living with works of righteousness, then it's very hard for us to be able to say, I am a Christian. Because you're not doing anything that's proven it. The Spirit's not working through you to prove it. These people were rejected, and they lost their lives. 14,700 people plus three leaders and all of their family, all of their family died because of their rebellion. Now, I'm, now they should have maybe walked away from them and let just those three stay and they say, oh, you, see, see you, Dad. You, I'm not going to stand here while, you, you know, while God judges you because I didn't, you know. But usually what ends up happening is the children will follow the father especially. And, Joshua, at the very end of the book, said, Choose you this day whom you will follow, but as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. We will follow the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it's important for especially fathers to lead their children, lead them to follow God. These three did not lead their children to follow God, and they, when push came to shove, they didn't go and follow God on their own. They stood with their father and died. And so this is critical for us to look at. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and ask that you guide and lead us in our, in our walk, in our week. Help us always to learn from mistakes and to make better decisions in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.